So I start this message with a, a question that may seem uh, like uh, this is maybe the dumbest question I've ever asked, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is that all right? Do you believe there is such a thing as evil? It does seem like a dumb question, but did you know that there is a uh, growing trend in the culture, even the church culture, to diminish the whole role or existence of evil? Uh, to eliminate the thought that Satan is a real being, that hell is a real place, a destiny. And most all of your anti-Christian worldviews have a theology of either eliminating evil or blaming it on the influence of outside forces upon people. In other words, it's not your fault, right? You hear that in the culture today. I'm just going to list through a few, uh, a few of the worldviews that are popular in the, in the world today. One, Muslims. They believe everyone's born good. A good Muslim. Parents, communities, lead them astray to follow after these false gods. A humanist, popular way of believing today. Many, uh, atheism is their main uh, theological stance. They believe that evil resides in society. It's not in the individual, it's in the society. And if you can engineer society to be more tolerant, more inclusive, you can unleash the innate goodness of the human spirit, right? (laughs) Marxism believes that evil resides in wealth. I mean, they're always inciting the working or lower classes to revolt against this intrinsic evil in the wealthy class and go so far as to say that anything that benefits the rise of the working class is morally good, even if it's killing, genocide, Another popular worldview is the New Age belief of pantheism. Uh, It's so popular today, especially in our country. Uh, They just really don't believe in evil at all. uh, Because everything is this expression of this one God in their pantheistic worldview. We're all God. Everything's God. When things occur which happen to be evil or look evil, it's it's this whole idea of karma is going to deal with that and bring it all back into alignment with that which is good and They believe in this massive migration of all things into a oneness that is supreme goodness. Postmodernism. Well, postmodernism is just uh, totally focused on the self. Whatever's good for you is what's good. In fact, the postmodern does have this little tiny belief in evil, and that is that it's evil for you not to follow your own heart. And this is where the idea of each person writing their own truth, their own, their own moral system comes from. What well, was true for my parents? Well, it's not necessarily true for me. You know, truth is always subjective. And not only that, it's my call. <laughs> so what's the problem with all these worldviews? Well, at the core, they basically just don't match up with what is real. And true, what we know to be real and true. I mean, human history, is human history a story of moral goodness or evil? I mean, there have always been these struggles for power and control of one over another. And we all know when law and order is removed and anarchy sets in, do people act in ways that are benevolent and good? Or do they turn on each other in evil ways? I mean, just the mere presence of laws lets us know that mankind unrestrained is nothing any of us want, right? Because we know that mankind unrestrained is going to act in what kind of way? 
evil. But there's something about the grace of God, the experience of this unconditional, unmerited favor of the grace of God, this, this, this free gift that comes in and not only redeems and forgives our sin, but actually removes the heart of sinfulness and gives us the very righteousness of God. He who was not sin was made to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And when we experience the, changing, the life-changing grace of Jesus Christ, everything changes. There's righteousness, goodness that becomes our new identity, which is the very presence of God's holiness brought to us in the life of Christ through his Holy Spirit in us. And now we don't obey laws around us because we're forced to, right? It's because our nature has changed. And we would obey society's laws if they were there or not. It's just what the new, good, righteous us does. The opposite of the evil around us is the holiness the purity, the goodness of God. I like this quote by A.W. Tozer. He says, God is holy, and he has made holiness the moral condition necessary for the health of the universe. Sin's temporary presence in the world only accents this. Whatever is holy is healthy. Evil is a moral sickness that must end ultimately in death. And if we, as followers of Christ, as Christians in this society in which we live today, if we want to change the world, we're going to have to bring the very holiness of God into direct confrontation with the evil in the society around us. If we want a healthy society, a healthy community, a healthy church, a healthy family, a healthy me, we'll confront this evil with the holiness of God. You may be asking, how do I do that? You were asking that, right? Yeah? I'm glad you asked that. Romans 12, starting with verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty. In mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never. Take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he, your enemy, is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with what? With good. It was my eighth grade year. I was on the basketball team and um, 
It came time for our game against our arch nemesis, Kearney Junior High. You can't stand that school. I mean, our two teams were far and away the two best teams in the league, so playing Kearney was the playing, like playing for the championship. And they had this guy on their team that was their leading scorer. He was good, and he knew it. He was blonde-headed. He was every girl's heartthrob. And he was a deadly jump shooter. I couldn't stand him. And he was who I was assigned to guard in that game. He started making jump shots. And I remember after about the third one, he looked over at me and gave me the most arrogant look you could ever imagine. I mean, it was pure evil. So the next time down the court, he was posting up at the free throw line, and I was standing behind him guarding him. And you know what I did? I just took my hand and I pinched him as hard as I could in the back. Man, it felt so good. <laughs> and the play had gone over into the baseline, and somebody was over there. They were fighting, and the rest that were over there, and they didn't see anything that went on there. And he turned around, and he just pushed me down. And he said, don't you ever do that again. And the refs didn't see me or him in this altercation. We just kept on playing. You know, soon the game was over. We lost. We were on the bus home. Now, how do you think I felt? Well, let me ask you. How do you feel when you respond to evil with evil? You know, bless those who persecute you. Never pay back evil for evil. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Feed your enemy if he's hungry. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Overcome evil with good. I want to give you three practical points from these statements that I think are intrinsically a part of them. Number one is that we are not to avoid those who have wronged us. I hope none of you could ever come to church and are looking down the hall to see if that one person is coming that way so you can duck down the other hall. <laughs> That's not the way families are, right? Verse 18 says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And, and folks, peace is not the absence of war. <laughs> peace is reconciled relationship. We are to let people know we want reconciliation. Is reconciliation always possible? No, that's why it says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace. There's this pursuit of reconciliation that is a part of the life of Christ. When people wrong us, it's so common just to avoid them. You may say, I'm not paying them back, I just don't want to see them. <laughs> It, 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 but could, be, could it be that your avoidance or your walking away and just ignoring them is a form of payback? Number two, we are to express loving words and actions. It says those, we are to bless, speak blessing over those who persecute us. A blessing can come in many forms, but it's often spoken. Because you see, as followers of Christ, as People who have the Holy Spirit and living within us, we don't have the heart to see our enemies cursed, right? We want them blessed. In regards to actions, it says that we are to feed our enemies. If they're thirsty, we give them a drink. 
They don't deserve a blessing, a meal, or a drink, do they? (laughs) But it's not about what they deserve. It's about who we are. And three, we are to forgive and let it go. Amen, right? Never take your own revenge, it says. The only way to do that is to forgive them. Let God handle it. Here, Lord, it's yours. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to place it into your keeping and for your actions, whatever it is that you think is best. It's, now, it's easy to say that in regards to an eighth grade basketball game, right? But it's valid for the person who has harmed you. Are we supposed to forgive the person that abandoned us? Are we supposed to forgive the person who cheated on us or the person who violated us or the person who hurt someone we love? How can we do that? And I would say there really is only one person that can live such a way, right? It's only one person that can do that. It's Jesus. We don't have the ability or, if we're really honest, the intrinsic desire in our flesh to work it out and to be at peace with someone who's done evil to us. But I'm here to tell you, and I hope this plant seeds of faith, that Jesus can do that in your heart. There's no way we can genuinely offer to care for the physical needs of that person who's done us so wrong. We may do it, but we may do the actions, but it may, just because the Bible says it, but it may be with the wrong motives. And we need to do it to show them how good we are in comparison, how evil they are. Or we'll do it with not the best of attitudes. You know, here's your food and drink, hope you choke on it kind of thing, you know. Right? I mean, Jesus can really make these actions genuine. Do you believe that? Genuine. And the ultimate is forgiving. Forgoing my perceived rights to hold it against him. And I'm here to tell you, I don't have the ability to do that in myself. Jesus can There's just a way that which he works in our life where he's able to drain the hurt and the bitterness and the anger and and release me from my self-protective place. And he can set me free to love again, to be vulnerable again, to live again. And sometimes, folks, we look at these kinds of scriptures all wrong. We don't really see what it's saying. I mean, at first glance, a person could read this passage and respond by thinking that these things would be good for them. Now, they're going to be hard to do, but something I ought to do in order to be a good person. They would even remember that Jesus is the one who started this and said, love your enemies. And if I'm going to be right with him, oh my, that's just something I'm going to have to buckle down and do. You ever feel that way? And I want you to know this is the whole wrong way of looking at the passage. It's not about your duty As a Christian that you're just going to have to bite the bullet and find some way in your heart to love those terrible, hateful, horrible people. No. I would go as far as to say that allowing Christ to do these things through you is what's best for you. It's what brings about a true release, a true freedom, a true 
disconnect from the world's ways and your own self. And so my point is, loving your enemies is freedom for you. You ever thought of it that way? When you hate your enemies, there's, there's something in you that just is bondage. Think about it like this. It says to not take revenge. Let God handle it. You're no longer responsible. You're no longer needed to make them see the error of their ways or to make them pay for their wrong. You're free from the horrible responsibility of trying to make them come to their senses over this. It's his now. I mean, think about the person in your life that has done you the most wrong. I mean, perhaps they've given hurt to you like no one else ever has. And maybe there's still a matter of control that they have. That relationship still has this matter of control in your life. And there's still, whenever it comes up, there's this angst in your heart. There's a bitterness that's there. And you're even, you've even perceived that you have a right to that. Because of what they did. And if you have something in your heart or in your life like that, I want to ask you two questions. Do you want to be free from that? <laughs> the natural response is the only way that I can be free for that is for them to change. Is <laughs> for them to come and beg for my forgiveness. That's the only way I can be free from that. The second question I would have is, what if Jesus treated you that way? (laughs) Back up seven chapters in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I don't think we look at it that way sometimes. Did you know before you came to Christ, you lived as an enemy to God? He saw you as an enemy. And yet he loved you enough to make the supreme sacrifice of his son to bring you into fellowship with him. And that's why if you go all the way back to the first verse of chapter 12, This last section of the book of Romans, he starts with these words. I urge you, brethren, I urge you, Christ followers, in view of God's what? His mercy. We live out of our understanding of what he's done for us. The next point is loving your enemies can change them. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever tried to get people around you to change? I mean, it can be a family member, a coworker, or a friend. You just really think they ought to change, right? You see areas of their life that you've decided just aren't right, and you do things to help them see that they need to change. I guess I, I really want to ask you, how does that usually work out? Right? I want you to know there is a better way. 
Verse 20 of, of Romans 12 quotes Proverbs 25, 21, and 22 when it says that serving your enemy is like, heap, is like heaping burning coals on his head. <laughs> now, some of you are thinking, well, that sounds pretty good for my enemy. <laughs> That's not really what it means. Kind of a strange way of putting it, but it is a vivid picture of the power of love. First off, what would you do if burning coals were put on you? Well, you'd do anything possible to change the situation, right? You'd want to escape the scene as quickly as you could. It could propel action on your part. You would change your immediate situation. And loving people who least deserve it and least expect it can propel change in their lives like nothing else. I mean, I read a story about a rebellious teenager who would sneak in and steal money out of his dad's wallet. Can you imagine somebody doing such a thing? I mean, he would only take a small amount, so his dad, what, wouldn't notice. And it went on for some time, and what the kid noticed was that his dad always seemed to have money to take. And one day he found out that his dad knew all along he was taking the money and always made sure there was something there. For his son to take. Now I'm not giving you any parenting tips here, okay? In fact, I'm sure you're thinking, what a terrible dad. He should have dropped the hammer on the kid. And you might be right. But this dad knew his son and he knew that the only hope he had at winning him back was through an extravagant, extravagant expression of love. Condemnation, punishment, well, we tried that. It was not going to work. So he resorted to a higher, more powerful weapon. Love. The love of God. I had a friend once tell me about the time his daughter was living as far from God as she could be. And she wouldn't return his calls. She, she just cut herself Completely off so she could live the way she wanted to live. And yet this father found where she was living and every once in a while he would just show up. No condemnation. He just said, I love you. I want to make sure you're okay. Over and over he'd just show up. What do you think happened? She just one day just broke. She broke under the power of love. Loving people who least deserve it in your life, who least expect it, can change them. I mean, it's more powerful than all your other tactics put together. How many of you have tactics for changing people around you, right? The last, the last verse of the chapter says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Loving your enemies overwhelms evil. It's a, it's a military word here. It's the word of victory. It's the word of conquer. You want to get back at evil? I mean, do you really want to get back at evil? Overwhelm it 
with good. And it says you win. You win. And again, only Jesus, only Jesus can do this. If, if you try actions on your own in your flesh, and it just won't work. The goodness and the righteousness of the Holy Spirit in us, performing the actions of really of God and how He has mercy and how He dispenses grace, brings about powerful change in people around us. I mean, do you really think if Jesus was dealing with that person that's difficult in your life, do you really think that Jesus would use condemnation, manipulation? Do you really think that? You know he wouldn't. And that same Jesus is living in and through you. You know, we think about the cross of Jesus. The cross put to death so many things. Yes, he died physically for our sin, but we died with him. Romans 6.6 says that we have been crucified with him. What does that actually mean? It means that living for self was killed. And I say amen to that. Living for self was killed. So the whole self-protecting thing we do or the self-promoting thing we do, it's dead. It's not who we are anymore. Amen. Bitterness or wanting someone to pay for what they did all comes from not that. That comes from the old way we used to do things. Self. It's living under the bondage of how the world works and not in the freedom that we've been given through the power of the cross. We let people off the hook. Why? Because it just doesn't matter. We don't need revenge. We don't like it. And we don't like what it does to us when we seek it. It's not who we are as people have been delivered from sin and given the righteousness of God. Our hearts are different. We are new. We are changed. It says that we've been changed so much that when somebody is celebrating something, we go over there and we rejoice with them and we don't have this thought about nobody rejoiced with me when I had something good happen. And when somebody's hurting and all this attention is going to them and everybody's helping them, we don't think, man, I wish somebody had been there for me when I was hurting. We died to that. That's no longer a part of us. We can rejoice freely with those who are experiencing celebration in their life. We can hurt completely with those who are hurting because we're different. We're free. Because of the cross and what Jesus did in us. We have this new life and it is nothing like the old life. So let me ask you a question. You know, what is it in your life that you just, um, I mean, you just need to let go of? And I don't mean something you ought to contemplate letting go of and let it, let it you know, fester around for another. I, I mean, what is something in your life you just need to let go of before you leave this room today? 
I mean, if you, if you can unpack the feelings deep in your heart, is there some deep-seated hope that somebody will pay? That person will pay someday for what they did to you. Here's another question. Are you living in the freedom of the cross of Christ today? And it's freedom. Total, complete freedom. Is the old self-protecting, self-promoting, self-rewarding life Is it gone? So you're just living in the freedom of Christ. I mean, that's what He's given us. You have it. It's just sometimes we don't live in it. (laughs) And it really makes no sense to have the freedom of Christ and choose the bondage of self. And I understand how difficult some of these things are. You might say, but Dave, it's just not right what they did to me. And if I'm kind to them, they're going to think that it was okay with me that what they did. Are you really telling me I ought to just let it go? <laughs> I would just come back. Do you want to live in freedom or bondage? You set them free. Guess who else goes free? You do. I want you to bow your heads with me.